0: In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, amen. The problem with God is that he does whatever he wants to do. If not for that, we might get along with him. Things here in this universe simply don't work the way we think they should. We steady ourselves with the idea that God is too distant in heaven to care much about the atrocities and sorrows on this little blue speck of a planet. Or, we console ourselves with the idea that God is, in fact, weeping and wringing his hands, unwilling or unable to stop the evil and suffering that are now commonplace. He has left it up to us, we say to ourselves. And it's this thought that so often turns us to the government. As one politician recently put it, What good are your thoughts and prayers when they don't even keep the pews safe? Now, regardless of your opinion on that statement, it must be recognized as a theological statement. God will not keep you safe even when you're worshiping him. And it seems that that was an issue in the first century as well. The Roman prefect, Pontius Pilate, had slaughtered Galilean Jews as they worshiped God. Apparently, God has left it up to us to keep ourselves safe. Thus, on any given issue, from gun violence to climate change, man must solve his own problems. And after every tragedy, we see the same pattern. Mankind turns to government for salvation and future protection. Government sacrifices freedom to make atonement and sends forth legislation. Legislation, at least to those who support it, becomes a kind of irresistible grace that is supposed to make all things new. That politics is religion should be obvious from your Facebook and social media friends if not from your own posts. Most people, Christians included, could care less about even the most important theological controversies, at least when compared to those that are political. The two kingdoms doctrine is of the utmost importance. Yet, if it is true that the right-hand kingdom might swallow up the left and turn Christians into political quietists, It is also true that the left-hand kingdom might swallow up the right and become a kind of idolatry of which Revelation warns, worship of the first beast. Particularly in America, where every voter is sovereign, we ought to fight for what is God-pleasing and true. But we ought also pay careful attention to what Jesus says in response to the headlines of his own day the first news flash came from the crowd gathered around him. Pontius Pilate had sent Roman soldiers to murder Galilean Jews at the very moment that they were slaughtering the Passover lambs. Their blood was mixed with the blood of the lambs. For a parallel, it would be as if the police were sent to murder Christians while they were receiving communion their blood being mingled with the sacramental wine that is Christ's blood. The story was presented to Jesus as if to say, what do you think about that? But Jesus' response is not at all what we would expect. He makes no mention of the tyrannical and unjust government, nor does he suggest resistance or possibly revolt. He does not speak about protesting the unlawful use of force, nor does he opine on the evils of police brutality. He does not speak of religious intolerance or racism. He proposes no slogan like Jewish Lives Matter. He neither speaks to the need for new spear control laws, nor for the need for people to arm themselves in defense against tyranny. Jesus says nothing at all about legislation or government or it being up to us to fix the problem. Instead, he says, repent. He says, do you think that these Galileans were worse sinners than all the other Galileans because they suffered in this way? No, I tell you, but unless you repent you will all likewise perish." And Jesus goes on to make mention of a second headliner, a news story about a tower in Siloam, falling and killing 18 people. Again, his response is not at all what we might expect. He expresses no sympathy for those who are tragically killed. Neither does he offer any kind of solution or resolution. He doesn't suggest a lawsuit against the tower's architect or contractor, nor does he propose stricter building codes or seek to change the unfair economic conditions in Siloam that caused a subpar tower to be constructed in the first place. Again, he says nothing at all about legislation or government or it being up to us to fix the problem. Instead, he says, repent. He says, do you think that those on whom the tower fell were worse offenders than all the others who lived in Jerusalem? No, I tell you, but unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. In both the murderous rampage and the tower disaster, Jesus' response is stunning. He says, unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. That word perish means to die in one's sins, to die and enter eternal death. Repent, Jesus says, or that will happen to you. Time for a thought experiment. Let's say that tomorrow you were to become not only president, but ruler of the entire world. Let's say that you were granted absolute authority. You could govern and legislate exactly as you wished. All the hot button political issues would be solved in exactly the way that you see fit. And to make it more interesting, let's imagine that all your policies worked with unprecedented success. One simple fact remains, you are still going to die. And so is every man, woman, and child that you know, along with every man, woman, and child on the face of the earth. We are like inmates sitting on death row, and we're so busy arguing about how best to tidy up the cell, we've forgotten that no matter what, tomorrow we die. Our problem is not that God has left us alone to solve all our problems. Our problem is God. God has justly sentenced us to death. And there simply is no political solution, no legislation, and no individual or collective effort that is going to change God's sentence. That's why Jesus doesn't refer to those killed by Pilate as innocent victims but instead calls them sinners. It's why Jesus doesn't refer to those killed by the tower as innocent victims, but calls them offenders. The wages of sin is death, and unless you repent, you will perish in your sins. The perfect government cannot help you. All the correct legislation cannot help you. And we should add, no technology is going to help you either. There is only one who can, and his name is Jesus. All the problems that we face as individuals and as a country are really penultimate problems. We should address them in prayer and word and deed, and on social media if that's your thing. We should vote as best we can in accordance with the will of God. But these penultimate problems, as important as they are and may be, are not the ultimate problem. The ultimate problem is the wrath of God revealed from heaven against all sinners. Death that leads to eternal death. and That is why Jesus preaches the mini-sermon and parable that he does about the tree that has not borne fruit and is going to be cut down. It is spared for one reason and one reason only, the vine dresser. The vine dresser says, Sir, let it alone this year also. The word in Greek is the same word for forgiveness. Sir, forgive it this year also. Until I dig around it and put on manure then if it should bear fruit next year well and good but if not you can cut it down. The tree is allowed to live only because of the vine dresser and if the tree becomes fruitful it will become so only because of the vine dresser. In other words Jesus and Jesus alone is the Savior. Only Jesus can save us from God's wrath Only Jesus can save us from the ultimate problem of death. Only Jesus can make us fruitful and pleasing to God. As the vine dresser in Jesus' parable goes to work on the tree, so our Lord Jesus goes to work on the tree of the cross. While the vine dresser digs and applies manure, on the cross, our Lord Jesus takes upon himself the manure of our sins. The wages of sin is death and the wrath of God. And so that is what Jesus bears in our place. All this he must do and does in order to speak those most costly of all words. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. It is forgiveness that was very costly for Jesus, but it is utterly free for you. In Psalm 90, the psalmist prays, so teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. Unless Christ returns first, you are certain to die. You are certain to give an account of your life an account of what proved to be nothing more than a very temporary, even very short, stewardship. And for the sake of Jesus and Jesus alone, you are certain to receive mercy and forgiveness that were purchased for you by your Savior on the cross. If the certainty and imminence of death, along with the certainty and imminence of heaven for the sake of Jesus are not enough to set you free, then nothing will be. This life is but a breath, but it is a breath that has been redeemed by Jesus, and it is a breath that leads us to Jesus, such that these present and very temporary sufferings cannot seriously be compared to the glories that await the scriptures say. And that is a stunning thought, because this promise of scripture embraces every kind of suffering. As bad as it is to be dismembered and sucked out of your mother's womb in an abortion that she chose, as bad as it is to suffer chronic illness, (coughs) deformity, or excruciating pain, As bad as it is to be poor and forgotten, as bad as it is to suffer imprisonment or rape or torture, as bad as it is to be murdered or to be killed in some disaster, what Jesus has in store for us in heaven is so much greater that whatever terrible things we've endured, our sufferings cannot even be compared to those glories, glories that He purchased for us through His shed blood. Whatever we suffer is like a night that is past, and we wake to eternal bliss and eternal dawn, to all things made new, to endless love, a true and lasting home. Purchased for us by the incomparably great suffering and death of God Himself, the one who joined us in our misery in order to free us from it. To know one's own mortality is to gain a heart of wisdom, a heart that receives Jesus and all that He gives. And from that heart flows a freedom that is the fountainhead of all good works, of all glad and willing sacrifice. It is the freedom that flows from root to trunk and from trunk to branch, producing all manner of God-pleasing fruit. Though you die, yet shall you live. You can keep nothing for yourself. You can take nothing with you. So there is nothing but freedom. Freedom to rejoice in the vine dresser who daily cares for you, and freedom to be fruitful unto God. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen.